Welcome, everyone, to episode 46 of Ohio Unsolved. I'm your host, Matthew, and in today's episode, we're going to Pike County, Ohio, to hear about the Pike County Massacre, where eight people were murdered. We're coming up on the one-year anniversary of the podcast, and I'm going to be doing a giveaway for one of the few remaining Ohio Unsolved t-shirts that I have, as well as a pack of stickers, keychain, and more. I'll have more details for that next week. I've done two giveaways so far through the Facebook group, and I'm hoping for more involvement for this one with it being the one-year anniversary. I wasn't even sure that I would make it this far, as I didn't know if I would actually have an audience. But there is a few hundred of you that come back week after week to listen, and from the bottom of my heart, thank you. I don't get much interaction on the Facebook group, And I would love some suggestions on how to get everyone more involved. So if you have an idea, please let me know in the group. I want the group to be more than just a Facebook meme meme group, which that's what a lot of groups on Facebook turn into. So please don't hesitate to send me your feedback. But with all that, let's just get right into the episode. Everyone sit back, make sure to lock your doors and windows, and get ready for Ohio unsolved. Our first story today is about the Pike County, Ohio Massacre. On April 21, 2016, eight people of the Roden family were murdered in four different homes in Pike County, Ohio. Their bodies were discovered April 22nd with six adults and a 16-year-old boy were all shot execution style in three adjacent homes with the eighth family member found murdered inside of his camper. Three young children, that included two infants, were all unharmed during this attack. The bodies were first discovered on April 22, 2016, after Bobby Joe Manley, a sister of victim Dana Roden, came to feed pets at the homes. Police were first alerted after receiving a 911 call about two bodies inside of a home on Union Hill Road at 7.51 a.m. Before the police arrived, Bobby Joe discovered two more bodies in the second home on the property. Her brother, James Manley, went to check on their sister Dana and discovered the third crime scene, where the police found three more victims when they arrived. At 1.26 p.m., 
a 911 call reported an eighth body, an adult male at a fourth residence in the nearby village of Piketon. The three young children, ages three years, six months, and four days, were all unharmed during the shootings, with the four-day-old being found in bed with her mother's body. Seven adults and a 16-year-old were among those murders. The four-day-old and the six-month-old were placed under protective services, and a three-year-old was put under the guardianship of his mother, who was not involved in the shootings. The eight victims were 16-year-old Christopher Roden Jr., who was killed with a gunshot to the head, 40-year-old Christopher Roden Sr., who was shot in the head and chest, 20-year-old Clarence Roden, who was shot in the head, 37-year-old Dana Lynn Roden, she was shot in the head and neck, 38-year-old Gary Roden, he was shot in the head, 19-year-old Hannah May Roden was found with gunshots to the head, 20-year-old Hannah Hazel Gilly, who was shot in the head, and 44-year-old Kenneth Roden, who was found with a single gunshot to the head. Investigators believe that the murders were premeditated, and that the perpetrators were known to the Roden family. On April 25th, the Ohio Attorney General's Office confirmed the presence of marijuana and a cockfighting operation at some of the crime scenes, but did not confirm a direct connection to the killings. The ensuing investigation soon became the largest in Ohio's history. In November 2018, four members of the Wagner family, known to the Rodins, were arrested in Ohio and Kentucky and charged with the eight murders. Edward Jake Wagner, an ex-boyfriend of victim Hannah Roden and father of her three-year-old daughter Sophie, pled guilty to all eight murders, but admitted to shooting only five of the eight victims. The bodies of the victims were taken to the Hamilton County Coroner's Office in Cincinnati, where autopsies found that all but one of the victims were shot multiple times. Four of the victims were shot once, twice, or three times. One was shot four times. Two was shot five times, and the eighth suffered a total of nine gunshot wounds. Death certificates released on May 28th clarified that six of the eight victims were shot in the head only. Christopher Rodin Sr. suffered gunshot wounds to the head, torso, and limbs, and Dana was shot in the head and neck. Bruising was also found on some of the bodies, indicating that the victims were beaten as well. Some of the victims were found shot in their beds. From the number of gunshot wounds on the victims' bodies, an estimated total of 32 shots were fired during the killings. During the early stages of the investigation, police believed that more than one shooter was responsible for the killings, since two of the crime scenes were within walking distance, a third located about a mile away, and the fourth was about eight miles away. Investigators briefly considered the possibility of a murder-suicide, but it was discredited as none of the victims' deaths appeared to be suicides. Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine stated that the killings were planned, premeditated, and a sophisticated operation, 
citing the efforts taken by the shooter or shooters to cover up their tracks and remove any incriminating forensic evidence. All of the victims were members of the Roden family. Surviving family members were urged by police to take precautions, and all residents of Peebles were advised to stay inside their homes the following night. An investigative task force of at least 100 members led by the Ohio Bureau of Criminal Identification and Investigation was assembled. More than 251 law enforcement officials were involved in the investigation overall, and sheriffs from 25 offices across Ohio offered to provide resources to Pike County. The FBI and the DEA provided technical expertise to DeWine's office. At least five search warrants were executed, and more than 50 people were interviewed in connection with the killings. 79 pieces of evidence were examined, including a Facebook threat aimed at Christopher Ronan Jr., which was posted before the shootings. On April 25th, a spokesperson for Mike DeWine's office also confirmed that cannabis was discovered at the three crime scenes on Union Hill Road, including an indoor grow house in which hundreds of cannabis plants were being grown, as well as chickens and equipment consistent with breeding chickens for cockfighting. An estimated total of 200 cannabis plants were recovered from the crime scene and are believed to have been grown for sale and not for personal use. It is currently unknown if the cannabis was connected to the shootings, though investigators confirmed the possibility of the involvement of a Mexican drug cartel. Cannabis problems are a common occurrence in Pike County. In 2010, 22,000 cannabis plants were seized by authorities in Latham, 15 miles west of Piketon, and a major cannab cannabis growth site was discovered by police in August 2012, with about 1,200 cannabis plants being destroyed by investigators. In both cases, police suspected connections to Mexican drug cartels. On April 26, Dana Roden's father, Leonard Manley, stated that the victims knew their killer, citing the presence of Dana's two protective dogs. There was no indication that the dogs tried to attack anyone during the shootings, and that there were no signs of forced entry at any of the crime scenes. Manley, who was not involved in the shootings, also said that his daughter had no involvement in the exposed cannabis operations, saying that they are trying to drag my daughter through the mud, and I don't appreciate that. Some family members have acknowledged brothers Kenneth and Christopher Roden Sr. growing marijuana, but added that they were unaware of any high-volume growth occurring. On May 3rd, Following the funerals of the last six victims, authorities towed away at least three vehicles from the property belonging to the Roden family. A spokeswoman for Mike DeWine said that they were towed as part of the investigation. Additional vehicles were towed the next day as well. They were all dropped off at the base of operations set up by the investigative task force. As of May 12th, more than 500 tips were submitted during the investigation and 128 interviews were conducted.
On May 12th, Mike DeWine and Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder announced the state's intention to relocate the mobile homes where the killings occurred to a secure location in order to preserve evidence and protect the mementos of the Roden family. Three of the homes were taken to a property in Waverly where the investigative task force set up their command center while the fourth would arrive later due to complications in removing it. As of October 6th, the homes were being stored in a warehouse that was once part of a chemical processing company. On November 24th, dozens of family vehicles and farming equipment, which were seized and investigated earlier in May, were returned to the victim's relatives. On August 4th, 2016, during a court hearing relating to the custody of the six-month-old and four-day-old children left alive, Sheriff Charles Reeder confirmed investigators' early suspicions that more than one shooter was involved in the killings. He also said that the two children remained in grave danger because of the investigation, and that the investigation was possibly the largest in the BCI's history. On August 13th, KVIA-TV incorrectly reported that two men arrested in Hatch, New Mexico for the shooting death of a police officer were also suspected in the Roden family homicide. The men, in reality, were suspected of another shooting death in Londonbury, Ross County, Ohio. Mike DeWine and Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder issued a statement saying that they were unaware of a link between the case and the New Mexico arrests, that there was no evidence confirming it, and that New Mexico authorities had not contacted them about a suspected connection. KVIA-TV later retracted their error. On August 20th, Mike DeWine announced new information regarding the investigation. He confirmed family and community members' suspicions that the perpetrators were family familiar with the victims, their homes, and the surrounding area. He also announced that the U.S. Department of Homeland Security and other federal agencies had become involved with the investigation. In, ad in addition, Dwine speculated that residents in the area have more knowledge than what they are sharing with investigators. On August 23rd, officials in Kenton County, Kentucky, located about 100 miles from Pike County, reported similarities between the Ohio shootings and a double homicide in Kenton County that occurred two weeks before. The victims, a well-known drug dealer and his girlfriend, were found fatally shot execution-style in their bed. The uncaught Kenton County killers, who were believed to be familiar with the victim's home, also left any children in the house unharmed. A total of 770 tips had been submitted to investigators as of September 23rd, according to court documents released on October 7th. On September 28th, WXIX-TV reported that the Roden family houses all seized by the state as part of the investigation were not being guarded properly. A news team had spent six weeks starting from August 14th and ending in late September watching the warehouse. Their surveillance reportedly turned up an absence of uniformed officers guarding the building, as well as a lack of security cameras and an unlocked open main gate.
Mike DeWine responded to the claims, calling them ludicrous and asserting that the evidence was preserved and is not compromised. Reacting to the report, a former prosecutor from Hamilton County criticized the inadequate security measures and said, any evidence that they would pull out of that thing would be virtually useless. On October 1st, Mike DeWine said that the investigators were getting leads in the case and that the state had enough physical evidence for prosecution. He also appealed to the public, explaining that there are people who know more about the shootings. On November 14th, Pike County Sheriff Charles Reeder issued a statement urging people with knowledge of the killings to come forward. He followed up with a second statement threatening to arrest anyone who may be obstructing the investigation, including relatives, family, friends, and neighbors. Reacting to the second statement, Dana Roden's father, Leonard Manley, said that he held nothing back during the investigation. Following his recollection to the position of sheriff, re-election, I apologize, to the position of sheriff, Reader reiterated disbelief and added that people may be scared of providing any information. On January 20, 2017, DeWine, on behalf of the Ohio Victims of Crime Compensation Program, denied a request by family member David Weisel to recover lost compensation related to the massacre. On May 12, 2017, a SWAT team from the Franklin County Sheriff's Office raided a Pike County home approximately 10 miles from the site of the murders. Police originally stated that they were searching for suspects in the murders. However, it was later clarified that they were looking for evidence in the case and not suspects. Police also searched an Adams County property, once owned and recently sold by Edward Wagner, an ex-boyfriend of victim Hannah Roden and father of her three-year-old daughter, but not the father of her four-day-old daughter who was unharmed during the killings. Roden was only 13 years old when their sexual relationship began. On June 20, 2017, Ohio police announced that they were seeking additional information on Jake Wagner, as well as his parents, Billy and Angela and brother George. The family was living in Alaska at that time, and police wanted to learn of interactions that members of the public had with the family, specifically conversations pertaining to vehicles, firearms, and ammunition. On November 13, 2018, Ohio Attorney General Mike DeWine announced that George Wagner and Angela Wagner and their sons Edward and George had been arrested and charged with planning and carrying out the murders. The suspects were all members of the Wagner Newcomb family from South Webster. George Wagner III, 47, father of Edward and George Wagner, husband of Angela Wagner, was arrested in Lexington, Kentucky. Angela Wagner, 48, was arrested at her home in Scioto County. George Wagner IV, was arrested during a traffic stop in Ross County. Edward Wagner, 26, was arrested along with his brother during a traffic stop in Ross County. Also arrested 
were the mother of Angela Wagner, Rita Newcomb of South Webster, and Frederica Wagner, the mother of Billy Wagner. They were charged with perjury and obstructing justice for allegedly misleading investigators. Newcomb was also charged with forging custody documents to cover up the crimes. Charges against Frederica Wagner were dismissed. On December 2, 2019, Rita Newcomb pled guilty to a lesser charge of obstructing official business in connection with the investigation of the April 2016 homicides. In exchange, prosecutors dropped the forgery, obstruction of justice, and perjury charges against her, and Newcomb agreed to cooperate with prosecutors. On April 21, 2021, five years to the day that the bodies of the Roden family were found shot to death, Edward Wagner pled guilty to eight counts of aggravated murder, felony conspiracy, four counts of aggravated burglary, unlawful possession of a dangerous ordinance, multiple counts of tampering with evidence, forgery, unauthorized use of property, interception of wire, oral communications, obstruction of justice, engaging in a pattern of corrupt activity, and unlawful sexual conduct with a minor. The state of Ohio agreed, as part of the guilty plea, not to seek the death penalty for him or his father, mother, or older brother. As part of the deal, Wagner, who admitted to shooting five of the eight victims, agreed to cooperate with prosecutors and testify against his family members. In September 2021, he was sentenced to eight consecutive life sentences without the possibility of parole. On September 10, 2021, Angela Wagner pled guilty to conspiracy to commit aggravated murder, several counts of aggravated burglary, tampering with evidence, and other charges as part of a plea deal. The remaining eight counts of aggravated murder were dismissed. On September 12, 2022, the trial for George W. Wagner IV commenced in Pike County. The main jury consists of nine women and three men. The six alternates are five women and one man. There are, not, are an unusually large number of alternates, given the trial is expected to take up to six to eight weeks. During their opening statements, Prosecutors said the guns used to kill the family were placed in buckets of concrete and gifted to a member of the Wagner family on Father's Day as boat anchors, unbeknownst to the family member that the anchors contained the murder weapons. The anchors would later be cut from a rope on the boat and dropped into a pond. Jake Wagner later confessed that the concrete anchors were at the bottom of the pond and using a search warrant, the state found the blocks in the water, chipped away the material, and found the murder weapons inside. The weapons matched the shell casing markings found at the murder scenes. I started working on this episode without the knowledge that it was still technically an ongoing case. Once the verdict is in on this latest trial, I'll include an update in a future episode. But boy, this was a crazy story. 
an entire family killed in one night. And based on all of my research, no clear reason as to why they were killed is available. But that'll be another update after this trial is over, I hope. Now my next story comes from yourghoststories.com and it's three different paranormal encounters that one person had in their home. I live in Boardman, Ohio, and there are three stories that I have since the summer of 2000 that I would like to explain. Please don't doubt my memory either. I remember everything perfectly, and I am 100% sure that this is accurate. I want to post to see if anyone else has had anything similar happen to them. I know it's a lot, but just read one of the three bulletins if you don't want to read all of them. One Summer Night This is the first incident that made me actually consider the possibility that what people call ghosts actually exist. I was in my basement around 9pm playing a keyboard facing the wall. I saw someone out of my peripheral vision walking towards me. I could see all the features of a human a head, arms, and legs moving blatantly, and even the walking motion was slightly exaggerated. It walked right up and stood next to me as if it was going to try to get my attention non-verbally. When I looked, nothing was there. I was a little disturbed, but I eventually shrugged it off. Now later that same night, around 1 a.m., I was sitting on the computer in the dining room for quite some time. Everyone else was asleep, and I had been sitting still for about an hour and a half. I got up to use the restroom, and when I returned, I passed the desk that I was sitting at and headed for the kitchen. This is when I realized that the fan was moving very slowly, as if someone just tapped it a second ago. It was moving the wrong way. Things then became creepy. I then heard an overabundance of little noises all over the house that night. Kind of like the house was settling. Someone in my room. This began in the earlier part of 2002, let's say March. My parents and I were the only ones living in my house at the time. While in bed at night, I could hear a noise every once in a while that sounded as if someone was standing across my room, digging their foot into my carpet. It was a scraping or rubbing noise. Just rub your foot back and forth into your own carpet to see what I mean. This scraping sounded varied in duration and forcefulness. Sometimes it was very loud and fast, but others it was more subtle and slow. This would happen almost every night for about two months. During these two months, a few other things happened that were even stranger. One night, I heard something slide across my floor very quickly and ran into my bed. My bed shook. Another night, I heard someone dance or hop down the hallway, hitting a squeaky spot on the floor several times. I'm sure that it wasn't another member of the family just getting up. I would have heard my parents' door open because it's very loud. Another night, I was lying there listening to the usual feet scraping when something hit my dresser very hard. Imagine kicking your dresser as hard as you can with shoes on. 
I even heard the dresser's knob stinkle. Remember, this was right next to me, five feet away. I was very scared and I didn't move. Then about ten minutes later, someone knocked on my window twice. I still hear the carpet friction noise once in a while, anywhere in the house to this day. Loud bang. This one happened in 2003. I was sitting in my basement on the computer late at night. Everyone was asleep. I then heard a very loud bang on the floor upstairs that came from the dining room. I immediately went upstairs to the location and I found nothing out of the ordinary. It seemed to me as if someone had picked up the desk chair in that room and dropped it from about a two foot height, which is loud. It was the only object in the room that could have made, these, made this noise. These three incidents are the main stories that I have. There are several smaller things that have happened to me over the years. Things have fallen off the shelves many times. The toilet will sometimes flush on its own. Other people who have visited my house, friends, cousins, other family, reported seeing black balls floating around my basement. A girl that I was watching TV with one night told me that while I was in the bathroom, someone walked down the steps who she thought was me, but then there was no one there. Another person once saw a human shape walk past him in the mirror in the basement. When our dog died, each one of us heard the same bark come from inside the house the very next day. The someone in my room story is the one that I found the creepiest. Hearing strange noises coming from inside the room that you're in is one of the scarier things to me. I recently moved into a new house, and I'm still trying to get used to all the new sounds that this house makes. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. I hope everyone enjoyed the stories, and if so, please rate and review on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. A five-star rating really helps others find us. Also, don't forget to join us on Facebook, follow us on Instagram, and subscribe to us on YouTube. If you do enjoy the podcast, please consider helping to support the show through Patreon, with bonus episodes being available from the $5 tier and up. Once again, thank you all for listening, and make sure to keep your doors and windows locked, and stay ready for Ohio Unsolved.